Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 131 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Arrow DeWild from Starcrawler, I want to remind you this holiday season that a lot of gifts can be given straight out of the shop at mistresscarry.com. There's even some new stuff this season, like a 7-in-1 bartender tool and a set of Mistress Carry coasters. There's also a concert-compliant clear plastic bag that you can wear around your waist or crossbody to take whatever essentials you need to bring into a concert or sporting event and still meet the bag restrictions. You'll also find fitted hats, trucker caps, and visors that are all new in the store. And of course, you've got the Christmas tree ornaments, the t-shirts, the hoodies and beanies, coffee mugs, pint glasses, stickers, and so much more. Just head to mistresscarry.com and click the shop. This week, my guest, Arrow DeWild from Starcrawler, is a lead singer that I first saw on stage in Vegas in 2019. She is a captivating front woman, and the band, you gotta see them to believe them. Arrow comes from a long line of creatives. Her grandfather, Jerry DeWild, is a photographer and cinematographer. Her mom, Autumn DeWild, is a photographer and director in her own right. And her dad, Aaron Spursky, is a drummer who's played with everyone from the Beechwood Sharks and Father John Misty to the Miracle Workers and the Chapin Sisters. So it's no surprise that Arrow DeWild ended up the singer in a glam punk rock band. I caught up with Arrow while she was driving with the band through the mountains. And let's just say not every place has great cell service. The band just released a new acoustic song called Stranded. And their latest album, She Said, is available now. Arrow and I talked about songwriting inspiration, growing up in Los Angeles, and how the band got together back in high school. We also talked about the interesting parts of touring and the plans for the band in the next year. Starcrawler is another in a very long list of bands that should be proving once and for all that rock is very far from dead. So allow me to introduce you to Arrow DeWild from Starcrawler. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Blue Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, 
Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed. You're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mistress Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to, you have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks for having me. Where are you right now? Musicians never know where they are most of the time. <laughs> we're driving to Stockton, so we're like in the middle of nowhere. Like actually, though, there's just like like mountains around us right now. So, um, um we're in Sholame. Show, you are wherever that is. No, I have no idea where that is. <laughs> Well, I got to see you guys a few years ago. It, it seems like another world ago before the pandemic, but I got to see I you know. guys at a club in Vegas, and that was kind of my first oh. exposure to the band. Oh, shit. What, uh, what's it the, um, fuck it, what's it called? We, uh, yeah, I remember, I, I know what, what venue you're talking about. We've only played, like, that one club there. I forget what it's called, but. Yeah, it was like um, right off yeah. of Fremont Street, like in old yeah. Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. O- old Vegas went from being like a total shithole to like the place where everyone wants to party now. I know. The shows there are like Vegas is fun, but we've never had that like amazing of a show there. Surprisingly, you think that they would go like crazy, but they're kind of same crowd. It's weird. <laughs> I think everybody's adrenal glands in Vegas are just exhausted. Like I just was, I was just there again and I had to get out five days is my limit. Anything longer than five days. And I don't think I'll make it home. Yeah. Well, five days, that's, that's actually a pretty long time. I've only been there for like a night or two at most, but also mainly only gone there on tour. I have that same five day rule about LA and that's where you're from. So I guess if you can if you can grow up in that environment, Vegas is nothing for you. That's funny. I feel that way about New York, but mainly just because it's like stressful. Like I like visiting because there's so much to do and you know, it's like so many people I know out there and stuff. And then after like yeah, about five days I'd say I'm like super homesick and like I don't know, it's just too Hustle and bustling over there. <laughs> I talked to Nita Strauss about growing up in Los Angeles as a musician, and she told uh-huh. me that in order to be a musician there, you've got to be at the top of your game because the best musicians in the country from every other state come to LA to kind of get discovered. Is that how you feel too? Um, yes and no. I mean, it kind of depends on what scene you're in. You know, I grew up with like going to a lot of, like, punk shows and, like, indie rock shows and stuff, you know, and that's kind of not the, it's kind of the opposite in that seat. It's like, anyone can do this, you know what I mean? But maybe, you know, I mean, she's, like, a really crazy guitar player, so I'm sure the stuff she was going to, was, it was, like, a little different. You had to be more on your chops and whatnot, you know. She's, like, a shredder. Um but yeah, it really kind of depends on the scene you're in and the neighborhood and, you know, what you grow up doing, I guess. 
Is it possible I, to grow up there with parents that kind of work in the entertainment industry as a whole and kind of become an accountant? Or were, were you just oh, predisposed? Yeah. I mean, for sure. I know a lot of people that grew up with parents, like not just in like music, but, you know, like movie or entertainment or whatever. And they, you know, it's like their form of rebellion, you know, like uh, certain kids like want to want to have a more normal career or whatever. Um, kind of half and half. When you were growing up, what I, I have a theory about music that you grow up gifted the soundtrack to your childhood. The music that you hear in the house that your siblings or your cool aunt and uncle play for you. And then you hear a song or a band or an album and you go, oh, wait a minute, what's that? I like that. So what did yeah, you yeah. grow up listening to? What was the soundtrack of your childhood? Um, soundtrack of my childhood was like Beatles, like the Monkees, and like Cat Stevens and uh, uh, Elliot Smith and... Uh, Jeff Capricuti, the White Stripes, like a mixture of both, like, like, 60s, like, hippie stuff and, like, indie rock. <laughs> and then what was the thing that you heard and you went, wait a minute, I like that, that's mine? Do you remember what it was? Well, well the first thing, actually, when I was really little, I was obsessed with the Beatles. So, like, my dad would play the Beatles and then I became, like, obsessed and I would like watch the he would show me the Beatles cartoons and I was just like became slowly obsessed I like wanted to marry John Lennon I knew you and, and I, I like, were gonna be friends I knew it <laughs> and then and then uh and then George Harrison was then became my sixth then, then was my favorite after that but, but um yeah that was like my first obsession but I was like really really little and then what was it like modern music wise that made you maybe want to become a musician yourself? Um, Did you go to a live show? Like a lot of guitar players that I interview say the first time I saw Eddie Van Halen in concert, I was like, that's what I want to do. Was there that moment? How did you become, how did you make the decision to become a musician? Or did it just happen? I mean... I didn't really, like, think about playing music or, like, want to for most of my childhood. It wasn't really something that interested me because it was just, like, normal. It's, like, what I grew up around. Um, but then, like, once I got a little older, I started becoming, it, like, just sounded fun to be in a band and stuff. And I'd say probably, like, Ozzy was the first thing, like, in eighth grade that made me go, like, oh, this is dope. Like, I wanted do this. I want to do this. <laughs> there, um, but yeah. There seems to be this amazing generation of women in rock and roll right now that have kind of gripped onto music right now with both hands and are like, no, this is our time now. I feel like Every week, I'm talking to a different badass woman that's making rock music. And for somebody like me that's been, you know, on the radio for a really long time, it's like I've been waiting for this moment, and it's finally here. Uh, I feel like it's the only way, like, rock or whatever could 
really come back into the mainstream. It's like it has to be reclaimed and it has to not feel like this, uh, I don't know, like toxic sausage party vibe. (laughs) (laughs) But the guys in your band, they, I watched you guys in Vegas and they're able to hold it down because I say this with all the love in the world. Watching you on stage is a whole different experience. You are all, (laughs) I thought you were possessed. (laughs) So you need those guys to kind of keep you on the stage almost. You were going crazy. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Have you ever fallen off the stage? It's only, well, like fallen off the stage. I've only happened once. I've jumped off and not landed right that's happened before i fell off the stage come to mind only one time when we first played in london the very first time like a very first show i it was like at a pub and the stage was a little a little bit high and i stepped there was like a an amp or a monitor or something right in front of it and i stepped on it to like you know get close to the crowd or whatever and it wasn't stable, and I just, like, fell. I mean, it um, happens to everybody. Dave Grohl, obviously, famously doing it and needing the throne. But even Post Malone yeah. can't stop falling in holes on the stage recently. Oh, my God. What does that mean? Holes? Like, what holes? Yeah, he had I don't know why he has holes in his <laughs> stage. I don't know if there's, like, pyro down there or lights or props down there. I don't know, but he, it's happened twice, like, in the last two months that he's fallen into holes yeah. on his stage. Well, it's never too late. It seems like every band has to have that Spinal Tap moment where, like, yeah. you, like a prop goes wrong, you fall off the stage. Yeah. Like, it absolutely has to happen. I just saw Iron Maiden recently... And their giant plane wouldn't inflate. Like the first time Wait. on the tour. Yeah, they, that it, the whole encore thing. And I was like, well, there goes the Spinal Tap curse again. That's funny. So did you grow up writing songs? Or did you grow up writing poems? Or did you just keep a journal? How did that work? Yeah, I used to keep a diary, but um, yeah, I don't know. I I really like when I I when I was growing up, music wasn't something on my mind. Like it wasn't something I thought I would ever want to do. To be honest with you, uh, so I'm not sure. I was kind of like a normal kid, to be honest. I mean, I guess I was normal, but I was like, you know, I didn't, I wasn't like playing like Beethoven's Fifth or whatever. <laughs> So how did you realize you could write songs? And I ask this because I do not have that ability at all. And I am so envious of people that have it. And I want to understand how it works for you because I'm fascinated by the process. You know, it started out with really simple shit, you know, like punk songs and stuff. So, Do you remember the first song you ever wrote? It was never uh, recorded or like put to... There was like one time when I was, I had like a, a, I had like a band before this one in high school and we like had like three songs, but there was one song, probably the first song I ever wrote. Um, And I was at a restaurant with my mom 
and it just all randomly like flowed out to me and I just wrote it all on paper and it was like dumbass lyrics but I was like the first song that I ever wrote <laughs> <laughs> so when you were in a, that band in high school was it a cover band is that how it starts because most of the time that's what happens no no uh, no we we had I mean we wrote songs but we, we weren't really like that it kind of started out as like a thing for fun you know and like I didn't even re- being in that band and then like when it didn't work out made me realize that was what really made me realize that I wanted to do music as a career because I first kind of just like started like a punk band with my friends like oh it'd be fun to have a band and you know whatever and we wrote a couple songs and played like two shows but it wasn't really like something that was that serious and then when that ended I was like oh I actually want to do this you know (laughs) so it was good it's a good uh you know you have to go through those kinds of things to like get to where you want to be or what realize where you want to be I guess I have this feeling that when and I don't have my own kids, but I'm a bonus mom. So I would imagine that when you have a baby and you imagine the world and the life that you want them to have, when your beautiful daughter comes to you and says, I want to have a punk band, that's probably not what they had envisioned for you. How did they react when you were like, mom, dad, I'm starting a punk band. This is what I want to do with my life. Um, I mean, my dad was stoked. I mean, they were both stoked my mom was more like like oh great another musician <laughs> oh no <laughs> I'm kidding <laughs> I'm kidding um no they're 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 both always been super support <laughs> so obviously you come from a musical family I I ask this all the time like you know is it the exposure to music or do you think that it's genetic that musical ability gets passed through the genes because nobody in my family is a musician and I sure as hell am not one. And you've got it running in your family. Maybe. I feel like it's different. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's different for different people. Cause I know some people that are like amazing musicians, but no one in their family is a musician or, and then I know other people that, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like a genetic thing. Maybe. I don't know. I I feel like it's kind of random. So talk to me about like finally putting Starcrawler together. Like where did you guys all meet in the first place? Um, well, I met Henry uh, at high school. We went to the same school together. And um, Bill is his little brother. So Bill was like 11 when I first met him or something. Um, and Tim I've also known since I was like, 14 or 15 um and then Seth is the newest member and um known him for a couple years because he's best friends with my boyfriend Gilbert and yeah we're just like all like family really just all known each other for a long time now so it's worked worked out (laughs) and then all of a sudden you guys you, you finally get the lineup of the band together and you guys start working on songs and then you get the call that, okay, you got a record deal and you're going to make an album. Because that's kind of where I saw you guys the first time back in, I think it was 2019, right? No, so when so when we started, we kind of like worked on writing. We like wrote, a, wrote pretty much like a whole, 
until we had like enough for a set list. Like we wrote like seven, seven or eight songs and kind of wanted to just get those good before we started playing shows. And we recorded our first demos and recordings before our first show, actually. So we recorded Ants and Used to Know and a couple other songs. And we released Ants, like self-release, uh, because this guy, Matt Wilkinson, wanted to play it on his radio show. So we actually first released Ants just on our own. He played it. And then Rough Trade heard it and saw it and was interested and wanted to uh, re-release it on their label. So we started off as just a one-off with Rough Trade. We, we had a one-off deal. And so they released it. And um, and then it, you know, they liked it. It, it. it did pretty well or whatever for small single, you know, small band. And then they, and then we signed with them and, and then re- recorded our album after that because we already had, we already had the songs, you know, it was just the songs we were playing live. So, um, yeah, it kind of just worked out. <laughs> when you guys are writing songs, do you just write them all the time or, because the creative process is different for different musicians. Some people have to be in the studio setting to sit down and focus on it. And then other people like get woken up in the middle of the night by a riff and like sing the riff into their phone or write songs while you're sitting in the van in traffic. Like how does it work for you guys? Well, that's very like Henry will like randomly get like a song or like a riff, but like you said, like in the middle of the night and wake up. Like that's, that's a lot of times what happens with him with me. I'll be like, feel like inspired by a certain thing or feeling and I'll like write about it but just like lyrics pretty much you know and I just have like a journal where I'll just like write random shit um so kind of goes both ways but then like usually then we'll come together and like bring our shit and sit down and get write the song you know and I'll be like yeah I have some these words and then see if they're good and put them in and you know, work around it and whatever. I don't know. It's kind of different each time, especially with this album. Uh, like the last two were more like we kind of had like a similar process. Like me and Henry would kind of sit down and figure out what we wanted to write about and he'd have a riff and, you know, go from there. Um, but with this album, it was a lot more like, I think just because we had more time and we also wanted to be hanging out with each other when we could because it was a pandemic that we were kind of, it was more collaborative between the four or five of us. It was like, we were all like kind of right. Contributing to lyrics and melody and stuff. So it was cool. I think the next couple of years, we are just going to be inundated with amazing music because all of the musicians actually, like you said, had the time for the first time in their careers to sit down and actually focus on music and actually writing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Where were you guys all locked down? Were you were you locked down together, or were you home in LA? No, uh, and we couldn't see each other for like a good minute. You know, Henry would come to my window, and we'd be like with masks, and we'd like write and like record demos through the window and stuff. And then once we could kind of like make our pods or whatever, then we'd start getting together. And then we got a couple Airbnbs, like one in the desert, and 
stayed at a friend's house up in Oregon and kind of did these like little writing sessions until, and then, you know, eventually we kind of loosened up a bit and would see each other and stuff like that. But um, it was, yeah, it was kind of a long process. Did you discover or start any kind of new hobbies because you were just home? Like, did you pick up cooking yeah. or gardening? Like, what were you doing to spend your extra time? Yeah, I did. I mean, I had already, like, I didn't really pick up. Cooked a bit, but I didn't, like, I got more into, like, baking. I'd bake, like, uh, random paste, like, cakes and cookies and stuff. My boyfriend, like, got more into cooking, and he would, like, make really, like, fancy stuff um but I got super into gardening that was like the thing I really got into it's like I just like wanted to make the house as nice as possible because like well if I'm stuck here for a freaking year or how who knows how long I want it to be like as like nice as I can make it <laughs> physically with the materials I have um so and we just had, like, you know, it's an apartment. We have, like, a couple patches of dirt outside. And so I just, like, tried to make, I made it into, like, a garden. And it's still, still going. I so. feel like anybody that was all locked down like that, that if you still have that closet you haven't cleaned out, it's not because you haven't had the time. It's just because you're lazy at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So when you're out on the road now, you know, you're going to be doing a lot of touring. You just released the new record, she said. So... <laughs> probably the rest of this year and all of next year, you guys are going to be out touring on it, right? Yeah. When you're touring and it's three o'clock in the morning and the bus or the van or the RV or whatever you've got with you at the time pulls in to get gas at three o'clock in the morning and it's time for the truck stop or the late night Walmart run. What What's like the weirdest thing you guys ever bought in a truck stop? The weirdest thing we've ever bought? That's actually a really hard question. Um, Tim actually, <laughs> on the last gas station, I can't even explain it to you. He got this, like, pig statue. Like, I wish we were on FaceTime. I don't know. It's, like, this weird pig that's, like, has these really long arms that are, like, making this weird shape. I don't know what the... Yeah, I don't know. It's, like, sitting crisscross applesauce, and it's, like, I don't know, it's really disturbing, this weird little pig statue. Like, I'll have to send, like, text you a photo. <laughs> it's bizarre. We don't know what, what it's for. Truck stops <laughs> are so good for weird, random things. Uh, yeah, there's also this horse that Bill got that, like, I think it's supposed to put, like, a wine bottle in its mouth, but it just has, like, its mouth is just, like, it's, like, this like it's this horse just like lying on its back with its like legs spread and then it's like mouth just like wide open and it's like the most like weirdest like creepiest thing <laughs> I don't I don't know there's so many weird things that come into this van like honestly I could probably make a list uh <laughs> you really get to know people well when you're in a rock band, in a van, traveling across the country, buying weird things at truck stops at 3 a.m. Yeah, literally. You, you really have to like the people you're with. <laughs> Delirious buying weird pig statues. 
like it's really like overpriced too, like thirty dollar like pig weird. I don't know. It's fucking weird. I don't know what 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 like the people that sell that shit at those truck stops. Like, oh yeah, this is perfect. Everyone out in the road is gonna need one of these. <laughs> you guys are gonna have to start like a whole social media page just for the I weird know. shit you get at truck stops. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. What about food wise? Like what's the what's the snack du jour in the Star Crawler van? What are you grabbing when you go in there? Mm-hmm. It's kind of different for everyone. Um I like hot Cheetos. Um I like like trail mix and shit. I don't know, I kinda of get something different every time depending on my mood. Um Tim always gets like nuts and like fruit. Um, Bill gets like some weird like strawberry milk or some like nineteen fifties like beverage. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like he gets like weird shit. Um, Seth, do you get snacks, Seth? Like I feel like you barely ever get Seth banana. Um, Henry gets like, like gummies and like, or like a Coke slushy. Um, oh, the Slurpees! Cool. Hell yeah! That, that, yeah, Slurpee. Yeah, can I cover everyone? Yeah. Well, that should <laughs> that should shut the people up online that wonder <laughs> that wonder if you eat. Oh yeah! Oh god! <laughs> when when I was online, just like you know, looking you up and, and kind of getting ready to talk to you today. I couldn't believe the number of people that are fixated on whether or not you eat or you have an eating disorder. I mean, you're tall and you're thin, but I was like, this is what they're worried about. Like this is, everyone is very concerned that you don't eat on the internet, I guess. Yeah. It's also like, those like, they're not concerned. Like, you know, it's just like bullshit. It's just, like, if they were concerned, they wouldn't be, I don't know. Like, I was like, why are you concerned? Like, you're not, my mom, my, my life doesn't affect you in any way, shape, or form. So, I don't, I don't know why I'm like, freaking out so much. <laughs> I am envious of your height, though. I, I really Thank am. You. Like, I would really like to be taller and not need a step stool for everything in the house. Yeah. Are you crammed in that van or do you get the good seat because you're so tall? Well, we're in a sprinter van, so it's it's kind of roomy. You could like stand up because it's like a high ceiling and there's like two people per row, so it's not, not that bad. Oh, that doesn't sound bad. That It's not like an old Ford van like Dave no, Grohl was used, touring around in back in the day. Yeah, we used to tour in those, like those passenger vans. Um, but now we're able to join the sprinter, so it's nice. <laughs> Where have you been able to spend some off time? Like, what cities have you been to that you had never been to before that you had a blast but not on stage? Um, 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 check. Wait, let me think. We've just been to a bunch of places that we've never been. Like, especially on this tour. Um, we had fun in Albuquerque. 
because of these restaurants that we really like there <laughs> that we found the, when we played there for the first time, like, I don't know when that was, like a month or two ago. There's this really freaking good, like, burrito spot called Frontier. Yeah, I think it's called Frontier. I don't know, but it's so fucking good. That was definitely a highlight. Um, we also played in Colorado Springs, which was underwhelming. But Steph and I went to this weird, like, cult restaurant, like, owned by this, like, hippie cult. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we're in my favorite time of the year, like Halloween, fall, absolute favorite time of the year. And so I've been I've been asking people like, go back to your childhood, give me your favorite Halloween costume or favorite Halloween memory. Ooh. My favorite Halloween costume from my childhood was when I was like eleven. Yeah, eleven. I was dead, Alice in Wonderland. Like every year I just wanted to be something that but just like dead version. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was like a thing. Um, and I think kids are like so scary. You know, like when you, in horror movies, like the kid ghosts are always the scariest ones. And I like, I kind of knew that as a kid. So I wanted to use that ability to be like a scare, like the scariest one at school, you know? Um, but my favorite costume still is just because it, it was honestly just really pretty. I don't know. It's just really good. I was dead out in Wonderland, and I just had, like, this blue vintage dress with, like, an apron that was, like, ripped and, like, ripped tights with, like, blood on them and, like, dirty combat boots and, like, uh, my hair was, at the time, was really long, and my hair naturally is, like, dark, dark brown. So I just had, like, this ratty brown, like, long hair and, like, blood on my face and stuff. It was cool. You got to bring that back and wear that on stage. That would be badass. I know, but I feel like it just, it's not as good. I feel like it was just like what was also so good about I was like a child. I was in like sixth grade, so it like made it scarier. I don't know. (laughs) I'm assuming you guys are going to get some time off around the holidays too, right? To be able to go home. Um. Yeah, yeah, we come back, like, around Thanksgiving time, and then, yeah. Do you have any weird family holiday traditions? I can't imagine Thanksgiving and, like, Christmas and New Year's and having it be warm, because I grew up in the Northeast, so it's, like, it's cold, and there's snow, and you're sitting around the fire drinking, like, hot apple cider and making soup, but... Right. Growing up in Southern California, your traditions are totally different. I mean, it gets cold for us. It gets like, uh, okay, like 50 something. <laughs> That's cold for us. So, um, I don't know. I mean, we, we don't do any like tropical Christmas shit, you know? We like to do the same shit, you know? My grandma will make a turkey and, um, Christmas Eve, my mom will make like an English like roast with like Yorkshire puddings and stuff. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing. I can't really think of any traditions that are like weird or like our family does this potato sack race on. The, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, even going to the even being able to go to the beach is weird for me. Oh yeah. I don't, 
I'm not really into like beach Christmas vibes. Like I, but also in LA, people get this misconstrued that like we're all going to the beach every day. Like I live like, I mean, with traffic, it'll take me like an hour to get to the beach. So I like, I honestly haven't been to the beach. Like I don't even know if I've been one time this whole year, which is a bummer. But um, I didn't go once this summer. Um, yeah. I mean, I grew up, like, like, you know, on the east side, so going to the beach was always, like, a huge-ass event for me when I was little. It was, like, not something that you just, like, do on the reg, you know? I think that's um, what's just what we see in TVs and movies. We think that you yeah, guys are just yeah. always surfing at the beach. It would be, like, it's, like, if you're, like, in New York, it'd be, like, going to, like, you know, take it. It'd be, like, going to, like, Long Island or something but because of the traffic. Like, right. without traffic, it would take, like, if you go to the beach at, like, 10 p.m. or something, it takes, like, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Like, it's, like, literally just because there's such bad traffic going to that side. It takes, it'll take 45 minutes to, like, an hour, you know? Yeah, you... From the east side. You you and I but have like, traffic in common. Boston's traffic is yeah. a whole different vibe, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you live, like, you know, on the west side or even in the valley, it, it's, like, a little easier to get down there. It doesn't take as long, but we're pretty far. Well, um, before I let you go, I always ask songwriters this question. Like I said, I'm fascinated by the process. I just don't understand how one minute a song doesn't exist and then a bunch of people sit in a room and then poof, it's there. Like, I just, my brain can't figure that out because I just I've tried to do it and I just can't failed miserably so can you give me an example of a song and it doesn't matter the artist it doesn't matter the genre of music just from a craft perspective that you covet that you're like that is a perfectly crafted song and I wish I wrote it okay actually I know my answer right away um Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Really? My See, nobody yeah. ever has an answer right away. They always complain that it's a hard question. So tell me. I honestly think, I, I don't have like a specific, I mean, I don't know. I just think that's like one of the best songs like ever written. Like I just think it's just so good. It's just everything. The lyrics, the melody. It's just like, it's like the best song ever written. Like, I don't know. I've talked to a lot of different musicians about the Elton John, Bernie Toppin songwriting relationship because for somebody alone to write those lyrics and then hand them to someone else who then has to take those lyrics and put them into a melody and and perform it and they don't collaborate with each other. Does that... Like, I don't know any other musician or songwriting team that can function that way. Yeah, I don't, I don't either, but I mean, I'm, you know, everyone's, everyone's process is different, so, um, but it's, it's so cool, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It just seems so crazy to like, okay, I'm going to hand you these lyrics, and, and you're just going to make it a song, but we're not going to talk about it at all, like, they've never been in the same room when they've written a song, it's crazy to me. no, I know. It's so cool, though. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, it works for them, so. Well, ob- <laughs> yeah, obviously their track record for hit songs is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I, I really appreciate you putting up with the 
with the driving and the 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 sprint van through the mountains and your phone being all oh. weird, but. Yeah, no, I'm sorry about I'm sorry about that too. No, it's it, I just I I didn't get a chance to to talk to you in Vegas when I saw you guys, and I just remember leaving, going, "Holy shit, what did I just see?" <laughs> That's nice. You're you. you're channeling this amazing kind of raw like rock and punk energy, and what I loved about it was watching guys watch you because uh, they were like half scared and half intrigued. It was hilarious. Yeah. I know. It's funny. And definitely post those pictures of the weird truck stop finds. Cause I need to see yeah, that. I will. That's actually good. Maybe I'll make like a, like a, a TikTok of all the weird things we acquire or something. I don't know. Oh my <laughs> God. That would be amazing. All right. Thank yeah. you so much. It was great to talk to you today. You too, thank you. There she is, Arrow DeWild from Starcrawler. Their new acoustic track is called Stranded, and their album, She Said, is available everywhere. Check out the links of this episode to find Arrow online and to find Starcrawler, and to get all the Mistress Carrie links too. You'll also find the link to this episode's corresponding playlist. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. It's filled with my guest music and all the music we referenced in the interview. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast and to share the episodes. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep, which is all your rock news, entertainment headlines, and industry info in five minutes. And you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode. This week, I talked to Brett Michaels from Poison. Hang out with me live on my official Facebook page every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. And you can always find me on the radio on the Mistress Carrie Show. Get details on all of that and more at MistressCarrie.com. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.